Welcome back to the Biblical Eldership Podcast. We're looking at chapter 8 today, Paul's final charge to the Ephesian elders, follow my example. Alex, you start off with this statement. God has given us a special gift in Paul's farewell message to the Ephesian elders. That's the first line of this chapter. What do you what do you mean by that statement? Well, there's really nothing else in the New Testament comparable to it. Here you have the great apostle speaking directly to the elders of the church, men he had worked with for almost three years. And the information here uh, is just so valuable for us today. Although Luke wrote this 2,000 years ago, it's as urgently needed today as when it was first delivered. There's really nothing like it in the New Testament. Now, you wrote a book. Uh, what, By the way, what year was it? Acts 20, Fear, Fierce Wolves Are Coming, Guard the Flock. Well, that was three years ago. And the reason I wrote that book is because there was really nothing else from a full expository uh, angle uh, that deals with this passage. There should be 10 books on this passage uh, from different uh, theological perspectives and from different church denominations. So uh, I just felt a great need to um, give a book size uh, mm-hmm. exposition of this passage. Now, I know you've said before, really, every elder needs to master uh, Acts 20 and what I mean, it's a treasure trove of information on eldership, the role of the elder, pastor. Uh, so if you don't have that book, Acts 20, Fierce Wolves Are Coming, Guard the Flock. You know, I might add one more thing. This um, speech or address, some call it a sermon, uh, is, a, is a key, a hermeneutical key to later questions that will come up like, what is the difference between overseers and elders? Uh, should there be one overseer or plurality of overseers? Well, Paul answers those questions here, and uh, this is uh, the great teacher of the Gentiles. And as we said a few weeks ago, he is our teacher. I want to start because we spent a couple chapters, you spent a couple chapters talking about uh, this. Let me just read Acts 20, 18 through 21 for those listening. Uh, You yourselves know, Paul speaking here, how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." This is Paul's uh, role model for elders to imitate. And I guess let's let's talk about this whole idea, concept of, of Paul being an example. Well, really, the whole sermon is his example. And uh, three times he says, you yourself know. And even in the places where he doesn't say, you yourself know, um, having them to reflect back on how they lived together and how he uh, ministered, um, much of the sermon is him laying out how he did things, and now he wants them to follow in his example. And I would say, we too are to follow the example of the apostle. And uh, Paul is very concerned about this whole um, issue of imitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 1, he says, right. be imitators of me. That's not a statement of arrogance, because he says, 
as I am of Christ. And he wanted nothing more than for his converts to follow Christ. And one way they would follow Christ is to see his Christ-like example. Right. Yeah, this whole idea of example. By the way, hats off to you, Alex, for giving a sports illustration in biblical eldership. I I was kind of hoping for a Bobby Knight quote, but John Wooden (laughs) will do. Uh, Let me quote it. The legendary basketball coach is well known for saying, quote, the most powerful leadership tool you have is your personal example. Read that again. The most powerful leadership tool you have is your personal example. Well, how do we learn much of what we learn? How did I learn my language from listening to my mother and father? And we are all influenced by others far more than we would want to admit. Right. Yeah. There's certain things we can't learn from books. That's right. And uh, yeah, just the the importance of, of the elder's example, which Peter says, of course, Peter 5, be an example to the flock. But let's keep talking about Paul's uh, example. The first thing he says is serving the Lord with all humility. Isn't that interesting? You would think he'd start out with reminding them of his great intellect, his wonderful travels, how many people he led to Christ. He would uh, lay out uh, his history. Instead, he says, uh, remember my humility, serving the Lord with all humility. says he's a slave. He uses the word uh, dulio, doulos. Serving as a slave. Uh, in fact, I'll just read that Second Corinthians four five. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants or slaves, for Jesus' sake. This is how Paul viewed himself. Yes, and uh, we need to have the same because we're not our own. We've been bought with a price, and the best elders are those who see themselves as slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ lovingly and with joy serving Christ, which is the greatest thing we can do in this life. Talk a little bit more about the humility of the Apostle Paul and and just his leadership style. Well, humility um, uh, infiltrated every part of his life, his words, his attitude, his relationship with people, his leadership style. Uh, You know, John Stomp points up a a good thing here. He says, uh, pride is without doubt the chief occupational hazard of the preacher. So good. Yeah. Uh, So although Paul doesn't talk about pride by saying he served the Lord with all humility, he is uh, dealing also with this constant problem of pride among those who lead the Lord's people. I want to read a quote from your book here on uh, page 99. You you say at the bottom, a Christ-like humble attitude makes a leader more teachable, more approachable, and more receptive to constructive criticism and makes him better able to see his own limitations and failures, better able to submit to and work with others, and better qualified to deal with the sins and failures of other people. A humble leader is less defensive, less prone to fight, quicker to reconcile differences, and more at ease in personal relationships. A humble soul enjoys promoting the gifts and popularity of others and is not jealous or envious of others' accomplishments. Only with an attitude of all humility 
can you lead in a Jesus-like way? I love that. Oh, yes. Well, it just shows you how humility, which is our littleness, our smallness, remembering that God is infinite and that there are people who are far more gifted than uh, we are, to remember that and how to implement it in our relationships, which are so important. Uh, Moving on, he says, serving the Lord with tears. Comment on that. Well, what he's doing is preparing them for the heartaches that they're going to face. And uh, the Lord's work is dealing with people and dealing with their sins and their failures. Uh, In the Lord's work, you will weep over conflicts among believers, uh, broken marriages, divided homes, ugly conflicts among church members, untimely deaths, crippling sicknesses. Uh, There's so much to weep over. And he is preparing them that um, this is a very emotional ministry they have. As as you've said, the fingerprints of the curse are on everything. On everything. But not just the curse, but also just the persecution. As the Lord says, if the the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you, John 15. Yes. You know, what Paul is doing here is preparing them for when he leaves. Now, in the military, a big word is preparedness, or a new way they say it today is readiness. Can you imagine if your country is attacked by another country, uh, what would happen at that moment? Well, most uh, 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 good countries are prepared within minutes Uh, planes will be in the air, not hours, not months, within minutes. Everyone knows what to do. Well, what Paul is doing here is making them ready, uh, preparing them. These things are going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. And this is organized persecution that seeks their death. And then there will be tears. Uh, This is a, a world full of sorrow. And Paul was a very empathetic man that felt these things. So what we have here is readiness. Be prepared. No shocks. This is what's right. going to happen. Well, we get into his teaching ministry. Of course, as you mentioned, Paul's the, the consummate teacher, uh, educator, heralder of the gospel. Uh, he reveals in verse 20 that he did uh, his work of teaching and evangelism in the most thorough way. Comment on his his uh, teaching methodology here. Well, we just look at the passage here and it says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Uh, There was no single point of doctrine that was helpful or beneficial to them that he held back from them. Well, he might have held it back because it was difficult to understand. Very unpopular. No, no. There is nothing he held back. Now, here's why this is really important. Because whenever Paul left the church, it would only be a short time when the Judaizers would show up. And the Judaizers would say something like this. Paul's a great teacher. He's a wonderful rabbi, but he didn't give you the whole gospel. We'll give you the whole gospel. You need to keep the Torah. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow Moses. So what Paul is doing is saying, no one is going to be able to say that to you because I gave you everything that I received from Christ. Christ gave him the gospel, and he gives them the gospel. He holds nothing back. And in verse 27, he says, I taught you the whole counsel of God. So they are thoroughly prepared, and they are prepared in depth. It's kind of an astounding statement, honestly, uh, what the, 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 the scope 
it, it feels exhaustive. He, he taught them, I mean, in, in systematic theology terms, I mean, this, this, the whole range of systematic theology teaching. And I, I suppose the, the point here is that elders need to do the same thing. They need to equip their people with doctrine, with the Word of God, teaching them. He, he says in public and in private. Why is that significant? Well, uh, this gospel is not an esoteric gospel. It's not just for the Illuminati or the few people who can understand it. Um, in public, like he rented the uh, Hall of Tyrannius and had public meetings where he would present the gospel. He presented the gospel in synagogues, but he also did it in private. And this is something I really enjoy. Uh, my wife and I have had uh, home Bible studies for many decades, and I would have to say to you, those have been some of the most profitable mm. in my life. You have maybe 10, 15, maybe even as many as 20 people in your home. You have snacks laid out. Uh, as a teacher, I would start teaching. People would interact with me. Uh, it could last a much longer. They get to know the teacher. Um, just recently, a man came up to me and he said, you know, I wanted you to know that over 20 years ago, I came to your house for two years. I knew nothing of the Bible. And we went through the book of Acts. Hmm. And it was that I was there. I could ask questions. You answered my questions. And I learned so much about the first three decades of Christianity. So, I believe home Bible studies can be some of the most powerful. Yeah, he says uh, back in chapter 16 of Acts, uh, he's declaring the way of salvation. So he clearly has a message from God. He's, he's sharing it in public and from house to house. Uh, let's talk about his, his total dedication to Christ and the gospel of grace. Grace is obviously a huge thing. Theme. Let me let me read Acts twenty twenty four. I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify. Here it is to the gospel of the grace of God. Well, just before that, the Holy Spirit gave him warnings of imprisonment and afflictions that lay ahead as he went to Jerusalem. Well, this would be the perfect point for Paul to say, well, if I'm going to be in prison and I'm going to face much affliction, he didn't say you're going to die. He did say that there's trouble ahead, serious trouble ahead, and we know that happened. This is the perfect point for Paul to retire or to go back to the Aegean Sea. He hadn't had enough vacations. <laughs> Send the, the other group of men with the finances. He didn't have to go to Jerusalem. Uh, there were a group of men with him carrying this offering. He could have said, I'm heading back to Spain. But no, he wanted to go to Jerusalem, and this gift would be a link between the Gentiles, Gentile Christians, and the, the Jewish believers. It was very important to him. He was the one responsible for raising up this offering. Now, that's the background to verse 24. You have to get the background. Imprisonments, afflictions await you okay. when you go to Jerusalem. So that's what that's the background of I don't account my life of any value nor precious to myself. He's willing to lay it all down yes. for the gospel. And uh, you know, what he's saying here has to be understood in contrast. He's not saying I hate myself, I want to commit suicide. Right. What he's saying in contrast to my life and what is more important and more valuable to us than our life, our conscious existence here on earth. He says in comparison to the course laid out for me 
and the ministry given to me directly by the Lord Jesus, my life is of no value. So understand he's contrasting the mission, the commission, the assignment given to him with his life. And he says, it's really no contrast at all because I must finish the course. And he uses here athletic uh, metaphor like a, a, a track run out, a, mm-hmm. a long distance run. It's been laid out before me. A specific assignment, a ministry has been given to me by the Lord Jesus. And here's what the assignment is, to testify right. to the gospel of the grace of God. Well, let's talk about that grace of God. Paul obviously made much of the grace of God. I think he begins and ends every one of his epistles with, with grace. Um, talk about this grace. What is this grace of God? Well, undoubtedly, grace means something that's not earned. It's God's initiative, God's kindness, his favor towards us. Now, if we understand uh, grace, um, his loving initiative towards us in blessing us, uh, we have to understand the negative side. We are sinners. We are lost. God doesn't owe us anything. We're Mm -hmm. not so nice that he can't do anything else but love us. No, it's not that. We're the enemies of God. We're not neutral. No, we're not neutral. I love what he says in Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What a statement. Well, what he's saying there is this doctrine of grace, which incidentally, no other religion in the world teaches uh, this religion of the grace of God provided for sinners by the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. People say often, oh, all religions are saying the same thing. That's That right. doesn't even make any sense. Right. This is a religion of grace and of God's initiative and of him actually sending his son to die for us and then be raised from the dead. No wonder it leads to praise and worship of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved, as you just read. Like the hymn says, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Oh, yes. Uh, Verse 25 shifts gears a little bit, declaring the whole counsel of God. Let me read that. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Talk to us about this section. Well, uh, undoubtedly, this is extremely important for him because twice he says basically the same thing. Little more material added here, but in verse 20, he says that I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. In other words, they have the whole theological uh, package. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then he repeats the same thing in verse 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What does he mean, this statement, innocent of the blood of all? Talk to us about that. Well, that comes from the book of Ezekiel, uh, where Ezekiel talks about the watchmen on the wall. You know, they didn't have satellites in those days or radar systems. And so someone would be placed on a wall to guard all night in case of marauders coming to the city to uh, plunder and to rape and to destroy. Well, if the watchman's on the wall and he warns the city, and the city doesn't do anything about it, well, their blood, their death is on their own hands. So no one could say of Paul, you didn't warn us, you yes. didn't teach us. Yes. 
No one could say, I, I didn't really get the gospel from Paul. Or the elders uh, couldn't say, you know, he didn't give us the whole package. We, we were confused when the Judaizers came. No, no. He said, listen, I am free from your blood. I did not hold back anything that Christ gave me, and I gave you the whole counsel of God, which is, by the way, a magnificent well, phrase that we ought to understand in our churches. Yeah, I mean, let's look at that. Verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What does this mean? Well, there's different uh, translations on this. Um, the whole plan of God, the whole purpose of God. Uh, the term counsel here does refer to the divine, sovereign will, purpose, plan of God. Uh, God's plans are not capricious or unpredictable like the ancient Greek gods. They're based on divine intention and determination, and, and they're available for us to understand in the scriptures. So from beginning to end, uh, Isaiah 46, 9 to 11, you want to might look that up sometime, Isaiah 46, 9 to 11, that God knows the end from the beginning and everything in between. He has determined it. It will unfold as he determines. So the whole council really is the meta narrative of the Bible, uh, the whole story of salvation, the kingdom of God from basically Genesis to Revelation, is that right? Absolutely. And David, do you remember a number of years ago, you gave a series in our church taking us through the whole Bible, I don't know, in three months, following the storyline right. of the Bible. And it is a storyline right. that begins within the beginning God created. And uh, we see the development, we call it progressive revelation, God unfolding his plan of redemption, unfolding who he is ending in the book of Revelation. It, it, it's a, a coherent story. Right. It's not a hodgepodge of verses flowing down from heaven. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there for Paul teaching the whole counsel of God? I just shudder thinking about it. <laughs> well, think of uh, Luke 24 on the Emmaus Road when Jesus opened to them right. the scriptures concerning himself. No wonder they had heartburn. Right. Well, the, the uh, what impresses me on this chapter is the the phenomenal emphasis on teaching the Word of God, the grace of God. You've got this quote here by Al Mohler, the failure to teach truth eventually leads to failure of Christ's people even to know the truth. So just the, this punctuation, this emphasis on uh, teaching people, feeding the, the people, feeding the flock. Yes, um, elders are educators. Uh, that's why in the qualifications, Titus 1, 9, right, right. all the elders must hold to this doctrine thoroughly, yep. and they must be able to instruct in sound doctrine. Doesn't mean they're an orator or a pulpit whiz. It means that they can open their Bibles and tell the story of God, lead people to Christ, answer basic questions, and help edify people. You know, David, uh, this is a very important chapter, and here's why. This is what we're supposed to be doing today. Let's not just talk about the Ephesian elders. In our churches, we need to have right. a philosophy of how do we teach people the whole counsel of God. One way you can do it is to have good books nearby and put books into people's hands. You know, there's, there's a, a number of excellent books out today that just give the whole scan of the Bible. M many people, the Bible's a foreign book to them right. today. 
Right. And they don't understand how the books of the Bible fit. They don't understand uh, the development of the history of Israel and the coming of Christ. They don't even know the Gospels and then the life of Paul and how all this fits together. It's a foreign book. And I believe one of the greatest problems we are facing today is the entertainment in industry. Uh-huh. There is so much mindless edge, um, entertainment today. And um, it, it's really affecting us. You know, on a more macro level, uh, this is something we do as a church every year. First Sunday of the year is, is do what we call our annual Bible reading uh, sermon. Uh, just to get people have some kind of a, a plan to get people into the Word of God, and I, I know we've we've just found this solves ten thousand problems by itself. If you can just get your people into the Word of God, and of course they need more than that, need explanation and teaching and all that stuff. But just the habit of being a people who are uh, pouring over the Scriptures. Uh, is is a huge help to this end and yet survey after survey shows people are not persistently and consistently reading the bible in any kind of systematic way so what do we have is biblical illiteracy and ignorance and immaturity and it it can be seen i think another suggestion or thought for elders is to think through um you know, in their elders' meetings, what, where are we weak? What can we? Uh, how can we systematically address, teach theology, have some kind of a teaching plan, uh, so that we're not just willy nilly, you know, uh, at random? But how how can we teach the whole council of? God? Well, this is where classrooms, uh, small groups can come in. Uh, if you can't do it on Sunday morning. Um, uh, special classes for new believers. That's a very important thing that right. they get a scan of the whole Bible. Alex, thanks. This is a great chapter and I uh, look forward to chapter nine. Biblical Eldership Resources is committed to equipping church elders to help them be effective, godly leaders of the church. Please consider donating to the ministry so that we can continue to provide essential eldership resources for church elders around the world. To donate, go to biblicaleldership.com.